The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Right now, get a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer by going to Stamps.com and using the promo code THEGIST. And buy Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Try it free for 30 days by visiting GoToMeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, July 13th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Walker runs, and you should run, not walk, to your Scott Walker YouTube channel to see the short video announcement that is, if you are not in walking distance of Waukesha, Wisconsin, site of the Walker runs walk announcement. Now a few things about Scott Walker. He has turned a negative into a positive. The best brands do this all the time quite successfully. I'll give you two examples. One, Cocoa Puffs. Negative. The food coloring taints the milk. Positive. Even the milk turns chocolatey. Next example. George W. Bush. Negative. This guy doesn't think much. Positive. This guy doesn't overthink things. So Scott Walker was so, let's say, hard-charging that there was a recall election. That's a negative. But he won the recall election. That's a positive. We won three elections in four years in a blue state. That is true. And I don't think this is out of bounds at all. I think he earned that. It is a battle stripe of a sort. But as Scott Walker goes on, he makes some other points. America needs new, fresh leadership big, bold ideas from outside of Washington. So a couple of things become apparent in this video. One is that while his eyes remain level and his message is conveyed in one shot, the camera is just randomly panning. First he's on the left of the screen, then he drifts to the right, then he tacks back to the middle. Is this foreshadowing an election strategy? Is this saying, don't worry, in the general I'll go back to the middle? Or is it just two attempts to get some of that American flag blurrily in the background? Now let me play a little more of the audio. Wisconsin, we didn't nibble around the edges. We enacted big, bold reforms, took power out of the hands of the big government special interests, gave it to the hardworking taxpayer. Look, I see his point. Accomplishment plus aggressive agenda beats just an aggressive agenda like Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump. Have they really accomplished things? And that, of course, beats accomplishment. But if you're not aggressive, I guess that's a takedown of Jeb Bush, right? And I guess that beats accomplishing things, but not being aggressive enough to make those accomplishments really matter. But there is something getting in the way of this questionable claim, something that is overwhelming the point he's trying to make. And I'm left to wonder if it's a conscious attempt not to let you think too deeply. Have you noticed, is it me? Does the volume of the background music just sound a lot, very loud? America needs new, fresh leadership with big, bold ideas from outside of Washington. It's like Scott Walker is trying to make his pitch at a Foo Fighters show. Yeah, yeah, I saw them at Red Rocks. Anyway, I will fight the special interests and stick up for the working man. I think they opened with Monkey Wrench. Also, I will fight the unions like the fighters fight the Foo. You know what I mean? All right, maybe I'm being too picky about inconsequential things. Let me now be generous about an inconsequential thing. Good logo. 
The Ian Walker is an American flag. The stripes of the flag sort of resemble the prongs of the E, the uppercase E. And that's the way to go. See, you don't want to co-op the first or last letter of your name with patriotic symbolism. That's pretty braggadocious, right? It's like wearing an Uncle Sam hat as opposed to an American flag lapel pin, right? If the S became a waving flag around a flagpole, you know, that would be like a neck tattoo. The Scott Walker logo with the E as the flag, that's more like an ankle tattoo. Don't be too big. Don't drown out your message. Am I right, Governor? On the show today, it's a Monday, so that means a They Might Be Giant song. I spiel about exactly the kinds of countries you want to do an arms control negotiation with. But first, the wild and the wacky, weird news, it's history, and how weird is it? One thing we know about Scott Walker is he won't be mailing it in, like I just did with that very segue. Which brings me to Stamps.com. Going to the post office, slowing down your day. No, 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 think stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage right from your own computer and printer. They will send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need for any letter or package, any class of mail. You don't have to waste valuable time going to the post office again. You do everything right from your desk. Print the postage you need. Put it on a letter or package. Hey, mail carrier, here you go. Thanks, buddy, and you are done. Right now, use the promo code THEGIST for this special offer, a no-risk trial, $110 bonus offer. It includes the digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. In the news, a hungry Labrador retriever eats 62 hairbands and eight pairs of underwear. In New Orleans, the first same-sex divorce takes place before the first same-sex marriage. And in Florida, where many of these stories come from, a man tries to sell a five-foot-long shark in front of a public supermarket for $100. It used to be that oddball news was aggregated for our amusement by actual oddball people like Chuck Shepard, author of the longtime syndicated column News of the Weird, which at its height reached 300 newspapers. But in the age of the vast and insatiable internet where zany headlines were compiled by the hive mind, is it possible that this very notion of weird has been diluted? In a piece in Pacific Standard called Who, What, Where, When, Weird?, Dan Engber, who's also a Slate contributing editor, wrote about our changing standards for the strange and the bizarre. Hey, Dan. Hello. Right up front, you talk about how a lot of the news that was once called weird isn't, and you talk to Chuck Shepard, who is a... Uh, Linnaeus. Yeah, yeah, he's sort of the Linnaeus of weird news. And the thought that, and we'll talk about him in a second, but here's what I thought. So why does weird news die, either because it's not new, or it's not weird, or... It's not it, meaning it's not actually news. It's like made up. So he and you put the finger on stuff that was once considered weird just isn't considered weird? Yeah, he started keeping track, I think, in the late 90s. He started publishing a list of things that are no longer weird. These are items that he would have published in a syndicated column, and they just came up so many times, it got boring for him. Well, weirdness is tied to newness. It's tied to uniqueness. 
Well, I think the bar of weirdness goes up. So if you and I lived in a small town and two hunters shot each other, that would be very noteworthy and a little bit strange. But if you aggregate across all small towns in America, it turns out hunters are shooting each other on a uh, disturbingly regular basis. So then it's no longer weird. You know, so I've hosted a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And so how that show works is basically, let's get big news items and be able to riff on them. Let's get big news items and find a detail. Or let's just flat out find news of the weird. And so the very last segment of that show, they'll ask questions to a panel. And usually the last question will be... (laughs) According to police, a man who broke into a house in New Mexico blanked before fleeing the scene. Uh, he went to the bathroom. He baked a potato and then raked leaves. <laughs> I think that part of the weird, there's also a couple news. If there's a real tragedy, it's not weird. Although some of the internet sites are getting pretty edgy in a way that Chuck Shepard wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that's on the border. So there was a weird news headline I shared on my Twitter account recently about um, the Florida Seminoles mascot who died in an argument over gumbo spices. Yes. Classic weird news headline. But it's also kind of a tragedy for both the Seminoles mascot and his family and loved ones. Uh, So I'll give you the chance to amend the kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I mean, what how do you decide whether something is just mean or tragic or funny, you know, and, and you feel superior to the dumb gumbo chefs. That's up to the weirdness aggregator who has to make these, you know, almost ethical decisions. And I think as weird news has spread across the internet and to places like Huffington Post, it's kind of been uh, toned down a little bit to make it more polite, which is also, I think, less weird in the end. So what's the difference between Huffington Post, which is one of the big sites to get it, and Fark and Chuck Shepard? What's their difference in tone? Can you tell the story, oh, that's one Chuck will like, that's one Fark will like? The real difference is, is Buck Wolf, who runs Huffington Post weird. I mean, he has made this semi-respectable, and I, I mean that as a big step above what everyone else is doing. He finds, he and his staff find uh, weird news headlines, and they often re-report and just make sure everything is accurate. And sometimes they'll even take the weird tag. So weird would be a tag on certain Huffington Post headlines. Sometimes they'll take it off. Same story goes up, but they just don't feel comfortable with making the judgment. One that he told me about was the Michael Jordan of dwarf basketball. Uh Uh-huh. You know, this is an interesting story. It could be a weird story, but do you really need to call dwarves weird? Right. Maybe not. So so you get into this gray area of you're still, you know, you're you're promoting the story because it's it's odd, but you're suddenly a little bit, you know, nervous about making that explicit judgment. Is that gonna be something people will share on Facebook saying, Look at this weird dwarf? No, people you know, people wanna read about it, but they don't want to be on record as making that judgment. Did he once try to strangle the Steve Kerr of dwarf basketball? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not the PJ Carlissimo of dwarf basketball. <laughs> um so another place where you find news of the weird, and this is very gentle news of the weird, as befitting uh, the tone of the show, morning edition. They have these things called returns. Little 30-second things that are cute. Here are some. Distracted motorist drives over raised drawbridge. Or new mother lost in California woods starts fire to get attention. What's weird about that? It doesn't seem to be a good strategy. (laughs) Good morning. I'm Linda Wertheimer. Amber Pangborn was nine months pregnant and hot, so she went to the local casino for some AC and went into labor. Rushing home, she got lost, ran out of gas in the Northern California woods where she gave birth to a baby girl. Two days later, eating wild apples, fighting off bees, still lost, she started a forest fire. 
That brought help. Mom and baby are okay. It's Morning Edition. Where are they getting their news likely? Where are, are they finding it from FARC? Are they using one of these subscription services that used to sell News of the Weird to AM radio shows in the 80s? It's so easy right now. Drew Curtis told me you can just set up a daily Google search for Florida drunk naked or something and you'll just have an endless stream of weird news stories. Well, that's not weird anymore, right? Florida drunk naked then by definition ceases to become weird. I think Florida drunk naked is a good, uh, you know, baseline. Okay. If you can add a few more yeah. elements like yeah. uh, bath salts or bath something. Salts. So I think starting in the 90s, at least certainly by the late 90s, the Associated Press, Reuters, these had dedicated, you know, oddball news wires that people, editors could just pull items off you know, cooler copy, they called it. You could just pull it right off the newswire and plug it into your empty spaces on the page. So as soon as that starts happening, it's it, it's taking away some of the, you know, the, the work of people like Chuck Shepard, who used to gather up clippings yeah. painstakingly from across the country. This idea that we could sneer at the news of the weird or we could cultivate it, it's the difference between a good joke or a possibly good joke and a good comedian. So... Leno will make a joke about the news of the weird and the person in the news will be the object of the joke. Haha, ha, isn't this person stupid? But a great comedian, a Louis, a Pryor, will say, I've been in that situation and get the audience to empathize with that situation. Not always, but it's not the purpose of finding this is not to put the person down. It's to find the shared humanity in the news of the weird. Now, I don't know if Fark, I don't know if Shepard, small items lend themselves to that. But how we react to news of the weird, I think, is pretty telling about us. I think that's right. And if you look at the state of weird news today, you're moving away from guys like Chuck Shepard, who simply by virtue of doing the curation themselves and make adding their editorial comments to it, I mean, they can they can express solidarity, affection, uh, snootiness, contempt, whatever. They're expressing something. And my worry, moderate worry, this is not the end <laughs> yeah, of the world, right. is that... So it's like it goes basically uh, ISIS, deflate gate, then this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, is that, you know, weirdness becomes mainstreamed. It doesn't have one person to interpret it for better or for worse. It's just, you know, you're getting this lowest common denominator definition of what's weird. And I think sometimes that ends up you know, lending itself to a sort of bullying, yeah. whatever is most mainstream definition of weird, and we're just going to identify as weird anything that, that strikes the group as being different. That seems like a, you know, unpleasant territory to be in. Do you have a favorite all-time item, one or two, that you remember? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have a, a single favorite item. There was the one that got a lot of press last year, I think, the student who got trapped in the giant sculpture of a vagina. Yeah, that, that has a, all the elements you that need. Was, that was really, yeah. yeah, that was all over every weird news site. Dan Ingber is written for Pacific Standard, Who, What, Where, When, Weird. He's a contributing editor to Slate, where he will be unveiling. What's the browser plug-in idea? It's called I Haven't Got Time for the Pain. Uh-huh. And it uh, will eliminate campaign coverage from your internet browsing experience until such time as you are ready for it. All right. It's downloadable now on Slate from Dan. Weird. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Think about the time, the money, the hassle it takes to hold a meeting. Let me give you a for example. Let's say there are three people around the country and they want to get together for a weird news consortium. You got someone in Sacramento. He holds up the B. He's like, I'd like to talk about this wild, wacky thing that happened in a swamp 
in Sacramento, friend of his in San Antonio with the News Express. Courier News Express? Can't quite remember. But he, is, he holds up a wild, wacky story, as does his friend in Youngstown, Ohio, holds up a copy of The Vindicator. A wild, wacky story happened there. So how do you get all these people together? Here's my recommendation. Have them go to Citrix, go to meeting, because it's the smarter way to meet when you're talking about people who went the wrong way in a drive-thru and it was really a funeral service. Go to meeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are, because with go to meeting, you can meet from a computer, a tablet, a smartphone, no travel expenses, no hassle of traffic. You can join by clicking a link, no sign up, no speed bumps unlike that funeral home slash fast food drive through Turn on your webcam, HD quality. It's like being in the same room. You could share screens to review and get feedback because we go to meeting, everyone sees what everyone on the team is doing at once. So I want you to sign up for GoToMeeting today to try it free for 30 days with nothing to lose. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. If you do it now, you can have your first meeting up and running in minutes. Let's go to meeting.com for your free 30-day trial. And now the spiel, deal with it. I do not know if the Iranian nuclear deal will be a good deal if, in fact, we get a deal, and that's a deal I'll just have to deal with. I would like Iran not to get nuclear arms. Actually, my emotion is a little stronger than like. I would also like to not go to war to achieve Iran not getting nuclear arms. I want to thank certain prominent politicians, among them Bob Corker, Tom Cotton, for repeatedly talking about how easy it would be to defeat the Iranians in a war. Because they talk with ease about which bombs we'd use on their underground facilities. They also project certainty about the fact, questionable as it is, that we know where all the Iranian underground facilities are. And they also act as if it's totally certain that the bombs, the massive ordnance penetrator or mop, would definitely work on a battlefield, even though these bombs have never been used on a battlefield before. I salute these senators because they're really providing a service at the risk of damaging their own credibility. That service being to convince an adversary that the U.S. has its own version of hardliners who are quite eager to rain terror from the skies no matter what history tells us or experience dictates. It's good, useful. That's some great bad cop stuff that these hawks are providing. But then the other day, I started to wonder if this act really was an elaborate, orchestrated affect that takes into account the game theorist's advice that you should act irrationally at times. I began to think that maybe these guys aren't brilliantly projecting a studied bellicosity. Like when they say, as Senator Tom Cotton did on Face the Nation, well, unfortunately, Iran is an outlaw regime. They're anti-American, they're terrorist sponsoring. Just two days ago, two days ago, the supposedly moderate president of Iran, the kind of people that the administration hopes to empower, was in the streets chanting death to America while people were burning American flags. Okay, and what about a couple months ago when presidential candidate Ted Cruz said this on the floor of the Senate? The Iranian regime held a parade of military equipment that featured chants of death to America. Or when he said this. The foreign minister of Iran accused the United States and our allies of being the biggest danger to the international community. 
When these guys make points like this in explaining that their opposition to the Iranian deal is that Iran has a terrible government that wants to kill us and wants to kill our allies, I don't say to myself, those guys are wrong. I mean, the facts are certainly right. Just like I didn't say that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was wrong when he went on Meet the Press and said this. Iran is a great deal more dangerous than North Korea. It's a militant Islamic power built on regional corporate uh, domination, in fact, bent on world domination. Yes, Prime Minister. Yes, Senators Corker, Cotton, Cruz. Iran wants to kill us with their arms, but that's exactly who you do an arms control treaty with. The argument seems to say, look how terrible these guys are. They're belligerent. They're heavily armed. We are in their crosshairs. They're heedless of all our warnings to stop things. Agree, 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 I agree. But that is not a disqualification for an arms deal. That is the prerequisite for an arms deal. Here's who you don't need to do a peace treaty with. Countries you're at peace at. There are no tense cross-border negotiations with the Canadians over their stated commitment to kill us for the very reason that they have no stated commitment to kill us. There is no fraught arms negotiation with the Swiss because they have no arms. And what arms they do have seem attached to each other, encased in red plastic, with, as options, the fork or the toothpick. In a similar way, we wouldn't want to negotiate with the Iranians for the return of stolen Gustav Klimt paintings because they have no stolen Gustav Klimt paintings. This negotiation would be a lot easier if we were trying to make sure to ascertain that the Iranians will no longer have Klimt paintings and also to ascertain that the Austrians will no longer have nuclear weapons. I'd say neither side in those hypothetical negotiations would object to inspectors just overrunning their facilities. Free and open inspections, fine with us. You know, the Iranians would say, you could set up a Klimt cam in all of our galleries across Tehran, no problem. I will say in all seriousness that there may be reasons to oppose this deal. For me, if there is a compelling argument that it will increase Iranians' breakout time, which is the time that they take to build a nuclear weapon. So if it increases the breakout time by, let's say, a couple of years even, I say do the deal. But if all the deal does is push back maybe by a couple of months what the breakout time would be without the deal, then nix the deal. And I do love talking about breakout time. I always sing it in my head to Sheik's freak out. I'll break out! Have you heard about the latest craze? It's called uranium. It can be weapons grade. It would be nicer if I were sure that the deal is right and I could come out and just blast the opponents like a massive ordnance bomb busted on them. It would be great if I were as sure as they were that the deal is bad. I'd say the deal is bad. In fact, I'd advise them to just keep pounding the fact that good experts say this will not delay breakout time for that long. Breakout! I value the role of debate on these treaties, and some of the people opposing this deal are doing so for sincere reasons, but I am not entirely convinced that the motivation of the opponents of this, the Obama administration's Iran deal, isn't simply that it is a way to oppose an Obama administration deal of any kind. 
Getting a treaty like this done is really hard. It's hard because your adversary is Iran. It's hard because your negotiating partners include Russia and China. And it's hard because you have people within your own country whose motivations are mixed and whose arguments, some of them, are pretty terrible. So at the very least, let's just drop the terrible arguments against the deal and not try to argue against it by encouraging the voters to freak out. And that's it for today's show. You might know Andrea Salenzi as the producer of The Gist, but she's also known as a redheaded Scottish teenager who was reduced to tears after being told she was too pale to board a flight. It's true. Check-in staff said they feared Andrea Salenzi was unwell when she queued to get on a flight to the Maldives. Managing producer Joel Meyer tried to smuggle his wife into the European Union by hiding her in a massive suitcase. You can't make this stuff up. The size of the luggage apparently drew the suspicion of Border Patrol agents. Quote, to their surprise, a woman in her 30s emerged. It was the wife of managing producer Joel Meyer. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers, or you may know him as the man who superglued a tiny hat to his head. Again, this is crazy stuff. Andy Bowers got himself into a sticky predicament when he didn't quite think through his Halloween costume. Andy Bowers had a tiny sequin top hat to round out his outfit, but rather than tie it on with a string, he superglued it to his head and he wound up in hospital. We are the gist, and we have recently awoken from a nine-day coma, swearing prolifically, and eating whole wheels of cheese. Wild, wild stuff. The gist was in the coma, got out of the coma, just wanted to eat cheese. And to be fair, most of our swearing was the quality of the cheese was just not up to snuff. We wanted a greer, we we're given a cheddar. What are you gonna not curse? And now, because it's a Monday, it means it's a new song from They Might Be Giants. Every week in 2015, They Might Be Giants has been putting up a new song on their answering machine, just like they did when they were a bunch of young, whip-smart upstarts in the 1980s. The number of Dial-A-Song is 844-387-6962. But you don't have to call. You just have to listen. You can hear it, even if you can't see it, because I am invisible. Just an inch away from your face I am staring into your eyes You would be surprised if you could see What's an inch from your face But it's impossible I am invisible Tiptoeing and holding my breath Almost knocking over a lamp Barely able to a sneeze. I am invisible. I am invisible. I am invisible. Did you notice something? Was there somebody there? No, apparently not. There you felt it again. Something creeping around that you can't see. Doing jumping jacks in the bank. Dancing through the supermarket.
cat turn on the dishwasher? No, I'm holding his paw, pushing down on the switch, making it look like he's doing it by himself, cause I'm invisible.